Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Picata. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for Here to There, where we explore movement from our present reality to the preferred future that God has for us. Well, we have a special episode for you today. If you listen to Group Talk regularly, you know that we have four different shows within the Group Talk umbrella for each week of the month. And as we enter December and this Advent season, we record a special combination crossover episode for December. So Nick Lenzi, the host of Reading Lens, and I will be hosting this conversation together along with our good friend, Andrew Kemp. These are two of our favorite people to talk to about books, ministry, and life. And so if you are new to Group Talk, just to fill you in, I'll open our background. The three of us have done several of what we've called book talks back in 2019 and 2020. Um, it started actually when the three of us were sitting around at the lobby conference about how much we enjoy reading, we're sharing books and thoughts, and then how we have three very different perspectives because we entered ministry after other careers. So Nick is a former Wall Street analyst, Andrew is a former chef, and I'm a former attorney. And so we had a great time discussing books kind of from our other lenses um, in addition to ministry. And we've all been in groups ministry for many years. By the way, a big plug for the Lobby Conference. It's coming up in February 2022 in SoCal um, in the beautiful campus on San Juan Capistrano. And really the best ideas have come from that safe space where we make new friends and get together with old friends. So we encourage you to save your spot and to register online. All right. So those book talks that we did were so much fun and people really liked them. It was kind of an experiment. People loved them. So, and Nick did such a great job with that. So we asked him to launch a podcast, just focusing on books that would be helpful to us in leadership and in ministry. And I think Steve and I decided, you know what? These are a lot of books for us to read. So Nick can read them, discuss it with others, and then we can just learn from him. So that's how Reading Lens was born. So this episode, we got the band together for this special time and and Andrew, who is so kind, has agreed to join us for this reunion episode. Hey, thanks, Andrew, so much. It's always great to be with you and Nick, Carolyn. And you've been our individual programs, and now you're on together, our first annual joint crossover program. Um, and I know since you've been a guest on Group Talk, uh, you started a new job in a new state. Hey, tell us what you're up to these days. Yeah, so back early October, Claire, my wife and I, and our two kids moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, where I've accepted the position of adult pastor at Christ Church of Flagstaff. Been on the job for about a month, so really feeling overwhelmed, but excited <laughs> about possibilities uh, and just loving being part of this team. Down. In case you're curious, Flagstaff is not like desert Arizona. We're at 7,000 feet. We're about two hours mm -hmm. from the Grand Canyon. Um, we're in the mountains. Um, and so it's really just a gorgeous place to live, too. And so we're excited to be part of this town. Well, yeah. And Andrew did what so many people um, in this year in 2021 have done, which is transitioned. <laughs> it's been like a year of transition for so many of our friends. Um, and Nick, I'm so glad to have you here to share the hosting. In fact, you're doing the heavy lifting anyway. So this is the beauty <laughs> of this for me. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, so on this episode, we tackle a best-selling new book uh, by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. And the subtitle is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies That Sabotage Your Peace. Yeah, it seemed like a light, breezy, fun book for the FN <laughs> season. So, Nick, um, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So thank you for kind of introducing that book. But uh, so I want us to start here. Why did we end up selecting this book? Yeah, no, I think it's one of those topics people don't like to talk about, but it's so mm -hmm. important. And especially mm -hmm. as I was reviewing the book, getting ready for the podcast, like how many of these topics show up and these lies show up in small group ministry in our small groups and especially over the past two years. And so I think it just adds this necessary but really difficult um, piece of the conversation that needs to happen as we're talking about discipleship, spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it within your context. Yeah, I think uh, I knew it was going to be a challenging book because I am, I've listened to John Mark Comer's messages and he is super sharp and is kind of up and coming influencer in the Christian space. Um, but, you know, the three enemies, you're like, okay, these are things we don't, you're right, Andrew, we don't talk about much. And it's, 
it's a slow read, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was a little challenging because it requires you to pause and think. Um, but I mm. agree with you. It's a really necessary one. I think um, Comer has thought deeply about this. He calls the way of Jesus discipleship in the tradition of Dallas Willard and others. And he understands and has observed culture. Um, if you go back and listen to any of his teaching uh, stuff on from Bridgetown, from his church, he did just remarkable series during the last two years around some of the hot topics um, that have shown up. And he doesn't hold back. And I think I do appreciate that about him. He's a millennial, I think, right? Early 30s. I don't know. How old is he, Nick? Is he like your, your I generation? I don't know the age of that. He's, he's either a millennial or he's that, that Gen X. I'm sure he's in that lost area where like the... <laughs> Well, yes. Yeah. Andrew was pointing to himself. You guys couldn't see, but, uh, where you just mix in between Gen X and, and being millennial. But, um, yeah, for, for me, I actually have, I had, have heard of John Mark Comer a ton. I haven't read any of his stuff. So I was really interested in reading this book just because everyone raves about him. And then the people yeah. that I love, like I'm a really big John Tyson fan and mm. John Tyson is a huge mm. fan of, uh, John They're Mark like Comer. BFF. <laughs> I know it's kind of interesting. I though I haven't done any of Tyson's books at all on on our on our podcast, but yeah. So the other thing I was going to say too is that like you know I've heard really good things about Garden City, which is another book he wrote, and then the Ruthless Elimination of mm-hmm. Hurry, which is mm-hmm. I think one of the best titles I've ever heard of a book. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, so I'm I'm I was really looking forward to just getting to introduce. And it's interesting on our our small group Facebook page. Um, I think it was Bill Search who shared this. There was a post, I think, a week or two ago. So this, if you're listening to this ahead of time, it was the end of November. But he just asked people like, hey, who are the main discipleship influencers of our current day? And, you know, people would list um, a bunch of people. It was interesting. People would put dead people on there. They put people that are alive. But mm-hmm. one that kept jumping out to me was that people kept sharing John Mark Comer. So I was really interested to hear hear his kind of thoughts on this. But yeah, anything else that we need to know about John Mark Comer? I think, you know, he used to be a pastor in Portland. And so he's in, he's not coming from this in the, in the Bible belt. He's yeah. approaching yeah. this book from ministering in Portland, which, you know, is one of the most liberal cities in America, you know, oh, so totally, him, if not the most, but yeah. Yeah. You know? And so I think reading it through that lens, it's like, Oh wow. Like he's not, like you said, Nick, he's not holding back. Like he's coming at this and it feels very different than the ruthless elimination of hurry in some respects. Yeah. It, you know, just in his tone, but um, just such a vital Yeah. John describes himself in a post-Christian culture and some of us are aware of that term, but just so that we're on the same page, could, could you clarify for us, what's the difference between Christianized and a post-Christian culture? Carolyn, do you want to tackle that one as, as a lawyer and getting us on the same terms? I do remember when I was younger, the Christianized culture, it was still, um, the value of marriage, the value of some of the, the basic things. When people talk nowadays about the good old days, um, which were really only good for certain types of people, <laughs> not everyone. Um, but yeah. in terms of the, the main culture in America specifically, we're only talking about America, that there was a cultural moment where the societal norms actually pushed you more towards Christian, um, at least cultural values, not necessarily Jesus and the Jesus way, but the cultural values of tradition, fidelity, you know, sexual ethics were more conservative, just a family, huge focus on family and parenting, all of that, Um, where gender was biologically determined rather than a social construct. I mean, just kind of some other things that people may be lamenting currently. So I think when it was a more Christian culture, and that's more the culture I grew up in, um, there wasn't as much persecution because the culture kind of fit yeah. uh, to some extent. And going to church was not laughed at or considered revolutionary in any way. Yeah. Um, whereas the post-Christian culture is is a reaction against that. And Europe's been there a lot longer than we have. They're probably about two decades ahead of us. Um, it's a reaction against a Christianized culture that attempted to hold on to some of the values of Jesus' um, kingdom, like being compassionate to the poor or kind or some of the social justice things, maybe we would call it nowadays, but they rejected um, Jesus' claims. And it's basically, and he says this, I don't think he's the first one to say it, that it's a desire to bring the kingdom of God without the king. And so you want the social justice without the the truth and the gospel peace. Um, The Kushnaz culture really pushed the gospel traditional peace, not necessarily social justice. 
uh, justice portion. So it kind of flipped. And I think he talks about the utopian is trending now dystopian. There's a reason things like Squid Games and all these dystopian shows are so popular. And that's also why, okay, my favorite new show, thanks to you, Nick, our favorite coach at Ted Lasso was so hugely popular. I think there's just such a tension um, in our culture of wanting the things of God without God. And that cannot, does not work. Yeah. Or taking the truth back to the source of truth. So like Mm -hmm. there'll be things inside Ted Lasso where it's just like, oh, that's a big, people don't understand like, oh, that's a very Christian, like that's what Jesus said kind of thing or, or intended, but like, we're not going to give Jesus credit for this. Right. Like we're going to move this to somebody else so that we take away. I think it's a, obviously it's a power kind of struggle thing, but the other thing I'll be honest with is like, so I'm in Hoboken, which is across the river from Manhattan. And so we're very also post-Christian culture. And, you know, I've always been told we're post-Christian culture, but I don't think I actually knew what that actually meant until I read this book. Um, I just assumed it's like, yeah, people have moved on from going to church. And I would say the other thing, like if you had asked me to find this before, I would tell you, uh, Christianized culture is like, it's unacceptable to be atheist, right? And mm-hmm. in a post-Christian culture, it's accept- It's now like it's accepted. And like the reason that I think there's the rise of the nuns, as they say, I just think it's because it's an acceptable position to have. I think people have always felt like they've okay. had doubt and those kind of things. But in the past, you wouldn't vocalize those things because you would be marginalized where I feel like the atheists aren't necessarily going to be marginalized like the, like they were. So I think um, if yeah. anything, deconstructing your faith, especially in the last two years, has become celebrated. Like yeah. saying that you are, you know, post-Christian is is the norm, especially in younger people. And there's a pride attached to that, um, that you're your own thinker and you're, I mean, we'll go into some of the lies, but it's, that's what makes us more post-Christian is that it, now the resistance is much more against us. That's a, you know, now you'll hear people talk about we're living in exile. People keep preaching on um, Exodus. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this trend, but a lot of pastors have been preaching on Exodus during the pandemic because it seems relatable that we're becoming more of a remnant, especially in some parts of the country. Um, And I would say Portland, California, New York. I mean, there's, you know, the edges um, tend definitely to trend there faster. And and can I add, like, this feels like a very heady conversation, but I think it's really important for groups, especially if you're, you know, more my age or Nick's age, you know, young 40s or younger 30s. When you're dealing with older people, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the boomers are older Gen X people. They're holding on to this Christian ideal or this Christianized worldview, whereas millennials are post-Christian or not used mm-hmm. to what Carolyn mm-hmm. described. And so how to balance those two and give space for the boomers, for older Gen X to, to lament, to mourn what, they're, what they have lost within groups and not to shun them. Uh, yeah. has been very important for me because, you know, my old job in Park City, Utah, I worked with a lot of older people um, that were used, that held on to that view um, and didn't understand it. And so just mm-hmm. to give them that space. So I think I, I wanted to bring it back why this conversation yeah. is so important for groups uh, in our context. Yeah, that's incredibly wise. I really, yeah. I really love what you just had to share, especially the part on like lamenting what was. Right. Because I think that's the thing that's that's really hard for all of us as we're in this new era of church. Right. Especially if we talk post pandemic, like there's so much that we want to hold on to from the past. But I think it's like I don't think it's necessarily letting go, but I think it's the lamenting and it's the mourning and the grieving and then being able to be in a position where you can we can move forward. So cool. Well, hey, let's jump into this book and start talking about details and how these affect our groups. Carolyn. So. Comer's whole point in The Live No Lies is that post-Christian culture has this mix of truth and lies. And sometimes it's really hard to separate the two because there's a lot of gray mm-hmm. along the spectrum. And as you pointed out, Andrew, it, depending on how old you are, where you grew up, what ethnicity you are, how much money you had, I mean, you, it's you're going to have picked up bits and pieces of um, truth and lies. And so Comer says, um, the problem isn't that we've been told lies, it's that we end up believing them. And so this whole concept of lies was really captivating to me that, because we think we're smart. We think we can Mm -hmm. figure stuff out, right? We we think, you know, uh, even with our ministries, if we just figure it out, we can do it. And there's these three enemies and that what we're fighting tells us that really we can't do this apart from God and we need to call out what 
what those lies are and what do we believe about ourselves? We're believing about God. What do we believe about relationships and church and community? Um, and just to start uh, parsing those out, I thought was really helpful. And he has some exercises in there too of how you can do that. Yeah. And I thought um, for groups to talk about what are some lies we believe, even in small groups ministry, there's lies that we've adopted or maybe they're just the way we've always done things because it, that it was just what we inherited. Um, you know, and I think thinking generationally, which is more splinter now than ever, it's really helpful to know, okay, what are the lies, even for the different generations, even sitting in the same small group, the different generations, they have different lies that they believe. Um, so just kind of keep that as an umbrella framework for um, the conversation with the three particular types of sources of lies. Yeah, that was really good. I think another thing I want to squeeze in here real quick is I think that this book, this book's interesting in that, like, I don't know necessarily that I learned a whole lot of new things, yeah. but I, I really loved that. I thought this is a great book to pass on to my leaders. Like, I think a lot of my leaders are facing the lies that are talked about in this book where their group members are believing this, but they don't necessarily have the weapons or the the things to be able to, def to defend this. And I think we're going to get a little bit into this a little bit further in the episode. But one of the things I loved about this book most was that, like, I think this is ready to just, like, hand off to them in a sense um, for them to, like, dig through and, and give them kind of a practical way to, to tackle truth and lies. So cool. So let's let's talk about the different lies. That, so that this book has three main lies that they kind of roll up into. So it is the devil, the flesh, and the world. So we're going to break in our podcast into those three things. So let's start with the first one. So why can't we ignore the devil? You know, let's scripture starts, the story of salvation starts with the devil and his lies, you know? And so, yeah. like, you, you know, to think that we're above that, you know, and that's yeah. what Homer talks about is that, you know, we're, we've passed that, we're better than that um, to believe in such things it is so naive and destructive and so like to to understand how the devil plants these lies and that's what he comes as is the devil's primary strategy is to, to implant lies in our into our souls um, in which we live out them again you know and so i think you know we all live those lies we all have those lies i'm sure for all of these small group point people small group leaders mm -hmm. those lies have crept up this past year where you're not doing enough you're not good enough you know um you know, transitioning jobs, you know, feeling that those lies of like, I didn't do enough. I, I was a failure. You know, those aren't healthy truths to live from. And so I think that's where it is of like, okay, where do these lies come from? And I think they come from more than just the devil. So, you know, hear me out on that. Uh, but I think the devil is at the root of those lies of asking us to believe something that is not in line with God's reality. Yeah. Thank you. That was excellent. I think the, I think the other thing too is, and not to give a Sunday school answer to this, but it's like Jesus couldn't ignore the devil either. So I don't feel like that we feel that we're us being like, Oh, we're beyond this. And like, he doesn't know, he doesn't have the power that he does. I think, I think that actually gives him more power when it's just like, if he can convince us that he doesn't exist, it's like the best thing. Um, mm -hmm. Inside yeah, we, that's, and not only that he doesn't exist, but in our culture, when you think about whenever the devil's depicted, I, mm -hmm. it's usually in a humorous way. It's usually in an over the top and kind of think, well, that was back in the you know 1800s or something. But it's not. The, <laughs> yeah. the Bible is very clear that the devil is prowling around seeking um, to devour, and he is the father of lies. And so I don't. You know, it's so rare to read a book about the devil, though, right? You guys, like, yeah. I, I can't think of the last time I read a book where there was a whole chunk of sections devoted to um, the devil's schemes and, you know, how to how to fight them. Yeah. What impact does the devil have on our groups? Maybe it's some of those lies. Like, I can see people going, you know, it doesn't matter whether I show up or not. Um, no one cares if I'm there. So then they choose not to go. Or... Um, you know, if I really show who I am, uh, people won't accept me. Um, so they continue to hide. And later on, um, Comer is a huge fan of confession, <laughs> which requires community and how that defangs the devil, basically. Um, so, yeah, I think things like that, that kind of cause people to disengage um, or to hide are some of the lies. Or that's not going to make any difference. Going to a group, not going to a group, uh, being part of a church, watching it online for years. It's not going to make a difference. Yeah. I, I think that's that's hugely important um, in how it's affecting our groups. I, I, what this book, I think, really does a good job of getting into is talking about how the devil is really just trying to win the war on ideas that he has the best 
ideas or that like creating distrust between you and God, I think was another really big one. Mm-hmm. I really loved yeah. uh, in the book, it was talking about how like future wars are going to be won on ideas as opposed to possession of land. So like up until this point, we've been fighting for land. It's interesting because I wanted to say with Comer, like, you don't think we're going to fight over who owns the moon and these kind of things <laughs> like, but uh, anyways, it's, he's more talking about like with the cold war and these different kind of things, like we were not necessarily fighting for land and different things. We're winning for who has the best ideology. And I think that was the big thing of like what we're facing today is that we're in this war of ideology of who has the best thinking. And I feel like that's where the devil wants to get us and get us away from uh, truth and those uh, different kind of things with that. Andrew, anything that you want to add in? No, and I think that's true. And this is where we got to be careful though, because our small groups, I know for myself, you know, I'm a nerd, yeah. you know, I love to read and I think ideas and content are important, but the battle with the devil won't be won with better content. Mm. And I think that's the easy jump we will make in hearing this is like, oh, we just got to give people a better Bible. Uh, and I don't think that's what Comer wants because he talks about, our, you know, that the ideas sink into our heart and out of that we live from disordered desires. Because we're really desiring people who, you know, what are our deepest longings and desires. And so I think that's that that's the small split that I think in this, yes. as we're talking about the devil, like, yes, he, he wants us to believe lies, but these lies aren't fought with better content, but with mm-hmm. with uncovering our our desires and what are we longing for and how do we live those out? Um, and so I think it's it, it's not better content in groups, it's better questions, you know, yeah. even uh, that uncover what we're going for. Yeah. And, and yeah. And helping to identify those lies. I love how you're talking about it. Like knowledge isn't going to solve these problems. So I think that was mm-hmm. one of the things you kind of pointed out is that, you know, the world and the culture really wants you to believe that like all if, well, if we were just educated, right. then right. we would be able to do this. I think you see this currently with the way in which we're kind of fighting the pandemic, where it's just like, if we just teach them the science behind it and things, it's just like, yeah, I don't yeah. know that's necessarily going <laughs> to influence everyone. Right. And I love this. This is the quote John has in the book and it says, Simply knowing something is not enough to change. Change Mm -hmm. is hard. Knowing something is important, but it's just half the battle. It's more like 10 or 20% of the battle. For ideas, good or bad, to reshape our lives, they have to get into our hearts. The deep centers of our beings that integrate our thoughts, emotions, desires from there into our bodies, our muscle memory, or in more Christian language, into our souls. And I just think that that's like a really important thing for us to think of when we come to our groups, because I think if we're thinking like, hey, this is purely going to be a knowledge transfer thing, that's not going to be effective. And here we go, Andrew, we're, we're back to, and Carolyn, back to the, the book of the year, which is the other half of the church, which is just like, it can't just be about left brain knowledge. Like we right. have to help people feel and experience yeah. and be part of a group mentality uh, inside that. Carolyn, sound like you wanted to share something. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I think um, if you think about spiritual formation, which he talks about quite a bit, and obviously we all care deeply about, I think, um, I, you know, it's the formation also means there's a deformation, right? So he talks about how we're being formed every minute, every day, by every choice we make, everything we choose to consume on media, read, who we talk to, who we have friendships with. I mean, all of that, right? So, and this isn't news to us, but it kind of struck me more this time we talked about deformation. And so I think about our groups, like we're talking, yeah, content is is just only maybe 10%, but everything from being, you know, what you do in inviting someone and greeting them in having snacks, what gets talked about, the expressions of care that we give, hugging someone. I mean, when we couldn't do that for a year and a half, that people's Mm -hmm. relationships really suffered as a result of not having just that encouraging touch, um, praying together. I mean, everything we do in group life adds to the formation of either moving, we're either moving towards Jesus or moving towards the devil. And I think he kind of makes a very clear call that if you're not moving towards one, you are moving towards the other. And I think one mm-hmm. of the lies of the devil is that we can stay neutral, that we can stay on the fence. We can stay intellectual beings and kind of do our thing and that our groups can do good things. And that's 
that's fine. But I think he's calling us to uh, more that if it's true, if we accept as a proposition that we're being formed every minute of every day and everything we do, and we're intentionally becoming someone and we're in process, uh, whether conscious or unconscious, if we believe that, then our groups are hugely important. Um, and everything we do, not just the discussion question time, um, yeah. is just as impactful. And those relationships are just as impactful. And I love this quote in the devil section he has on here. He said, so, you know, to get on the positive side of how do you combat this? He says, you know, we need both spirit, which he defines as uh, Gordon Fee's definition. He uses the animating energy that we draw through our relationship in, with God, which is a bu- brilliant definition. Uh, we need both spirit and truth, both the relational presence of Jesus and his community and the meaning giving truth of our rabbi's mental maps. He talks about the mental maps, chain- exchanging the world's and the devil's lies for the mental map of uh, what God says is true in his word about who he is, how the world works and who we are. And so you need both God's help through his Holy Spirit, as well as one another to see those lies and to call them out. And so I think it's, you know, for groups that don't or aren't aware that, hey, everything you do is forming your members and yourself Mm -hmm. to either becoming closer to Jesus or further. And and that's a very serious uh, calling. And I I don't know that when we invite people to just come host a group that we necessarily, you know, obviously you don't want to scare them right right at the beginning. And you ease into it over time, of course. But... Yeah. I think maybe more leaders would step up if they realize what a, um, you know, kind of sacred trust that is. Yeah. And even just going to add the plug for like small group point people, like if you're a pastor or a volunteer, whatever role you serve in the church, like the devil's main strategy is to get you away from even though you're trying to create community. And that's why, you know, Nick, Carolyn and I love the small group network is it's intentionally forming community so we can combat those lies. Yeah. within our yeah. own selves so we can minister more fully. And so again, just the plug for the small group network and huddles, like you need this community too, not just inviting others right. to combat those lies, but we ourselves as leaders in the church need this um, yeah. probably more so than our people at times, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And uh, to piggyback off both of what you guys just said, I think it's really interesting because I think this also points to kind of the importance of what we do as groups point people, because if it's true that, that people are becoming something, whether it's going to be, you know, like Jesus or not. Right. So I like the question, the, the quote from the book that I really liked was the question isn't, are you becoming someone, but who are you becoming? I think sometimes mm-hmm. we spend so much time thinking about, man, how can we get people into group, right? How can we get people into group? Because we know like the positives that can come from it. But I think sometimes we, spend less time thinking about like, okay, with the people that we have in group, what are we helping them become, right? How are we helping them become like Jesus? Um, And I think that's why the spiritual formation becomes so important inside of that. And so one of the questions I I ran into this in my morning study this morning, but, you know, it it was talking about like, are you just entertaining people or are you equipping them? And so I think Mm -hmm. that's another thing to think about when it comes to your groups is, you know, it's easy to gather people around and to entertain them, right? Entertainment is going to bring them back. But I think we're in the game of changing them for eternity and yeah. really helping them to develop and who they become. And I think that's where, like, what are we equipping our people into, I think, is, is super important. Yeah. All right. That's great. So that was us covering the devil. We're going to take a quick break and Jason's going to share with us. And we're going to return after that break and we're going to cover the flesh in the world. So meet us after the break. Ho, 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 and Merry Christmas to all you small group point people out there. Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer, and I wanted to share a special Christmas gift with you. Santa Steve Gladen is feeling very generous this year and wanted to give all of our Group Talk listeners a special gift, $100 off our lobby gathering. This is an event that you're not going to want to miss. Join us February 22nd through the 24th in sunny San Juan Capistrano, California. If it's cold where you're at, I'm sure you're ready for a little sun. This small group networking event is sure to help you connect with new and veteran small group point people and give you an opportunity to relax along the way. Now we want you to take advantage of this special holiday gift by going to smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash conferences. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash conferences. Under the lobby gathering, click register. And before selecting your tickets, be sure to click enter promo code up top. Enter promo code group talk. All one word. Again, that's group talk. 
all one word, for your exclusive $100 off. Hope to see you there. Now back to Carolyn, Andrew, and Nick. All right, welcome back. So, so far we have introduced the book that we're doing, Live No Lies, and we have covered the devil and his grip that still exists that we can't ignore. And we're going to move on to the next one, which is the flesh. So, what does the flesh have to do with our groups? What do we mean by the flesh? When I think, again, you know, Comer is so careful with his words that he wants to make mm-hmm. sure he's clear. And so by the flesh, we don't mean our physical bodies, right? Like, you know, he's not negating yes. our physical bodies, but the flesh being that sinful part, if you're familiar with the old NIV when it called it the sinful desires or, mm-hmm. you know, that part of us that leads us away from Jesus, you know, um, those desires uh, that go away from that. And that's where Comer really starts, you know, is talking about the history of hierarchy of desires, you know, and this, this, this distinction between uh, pleasure and happiness, which I know, Nick, you found really oh, um, totally. fascinating and interesting, um, especially in your context, working with younger adults. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll jump into that. And just to clarify a little bit more, if you're still confused on his flesh, Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, those are those are just where <laughs> Paul just knocks it out of the park when he talks about, you know, we have two sides to us. We have this, the flesh, which is these earthly desires, and we have the spirit, which is the things in which, like, mm-hmm. we actually desire um, that's within us. And so, I think the thing – you talked about young adults. I, the thing that I'm facing so much in our groups are these lies that the flesh tell us. So, he covers a few of them in here, which is do what makes you happy, follow your heart, you do you, speak your truth. Um, what was the heart one? The heart gets what it wants, mm-hmm. which the was heart like wants what it wants. The heart yeah. wants what it wants. And they share the source of that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like <laughs> that should eliminate that phrase immediately up there with um, the drinking the Kool-Aid. Like when I heard the origins <laughs> of that one, that one should also be eliminated. <laughs> but um, besides the point, that's kind of a little distracting. I think the thing that that this is why I want to give this book to our leaders so much is because they're facing those lies every time in group. And it's it our young adults have the, these are now becoming truths to them because it's just been preached to them so much from culture and society mm-hmm. that like do what makes you happy, be yourself. And yourself is going to is is stuck in that flesh. It's gonna want those earthly desires. If you haven't accepted Christ yet and to have that spirit side of you, you're not gonna know like what it is that you actually desire and and who you actually are in Christ. And so I think this is a, a big part of mm-hmm. of what our groups are facing and or what your church is gonna face here soon as you know, we're talking about millennials, but millennials are now in their thirties. Like we're, we're onto another generation here in Gen Z mm-hmm. that's coming through. Um, this is a, a whole different beast that, that's about to, to enter. And so I think that's a, a big part of this. Carolyn, anything that, that you want to add yeah. here? with? Yeah. So I, I'm raising Gen Zers and we had this conversation about speak your truth. And I said, yeah. if truth has a possessive, then it's not really truth yeah. um, because truth is by its objective <laughs> definition is universal. And they said, no, you can't say that because that will, you'll get canceled um, yeah. because there's my truth and your truth and other people's truth. And we have to respect everyone's truth. And I'm like, okay. So again, <laughs> the lies of that, there's a new, there's just different definition. And some of that is not all bad because some truths have been ignored. Um, The truths spoken by people without power have been ignored and trampled upon for a long, long time. So there is some good in that. And that's what's so insidious about the flesh. It's not all bad because if it was all bad, then um, it'd be easier to reject. But it's not. There is, you know, when we talk about do what makes you happy. Okay, we're also talking about how God has created us with desires and, and gifts and talents and those the things we're meant to pursue for the good of the kingdom, for our own good and for to bless others. So there's a germ of truth to that and to um, foster that into our being is a good thing, but then it just becomes disordered. And I, I really like his distinction about, you know, the disordered desires as a definition of sin. And then also mm-hmm. in this section, he talks a lot about the idea of freedom, because yeah. when you look at the lies of the flesh, they dip, they 
mostly are embedded in, in the freedom idea, kind of like um, Eve's first, the first lie that Eve believed, right? From the devil was that God doesn't want good for you. Um, yeah. So the lie here is, yeah, God's withholding from you something really good. And so Comer talks about the difference between a freedom from something and freedom for something. Um, and he says, you know, positive freedom, that's the freedom for something. It's the freedom to choose the good. Um, so it's not just autonomy from authority, but about liberating ourselves in such a way that we can pursue the best good things. And Keller talks about that quite a bit as well, that it's not the absence of constraints, but choosing the right constraints. We all worship something. We are all subject to something. It's it's a huge lie to say that you can just do whatever because um, yeah. there are consequences. You know, there's mm-hmm. legal consequences, there's social consequences, <laughs> and there's marital consequences. I mean, there's consequences. So then it's a matter of well, what do we choose? And do we see God? God is someone who's a withholder of good things. And how do we even define what those good things are? And I think for our groups and for our leaders to really think through, okay, what am I choosing when I choose to lead this group, when I choose to pick uh, a particular kind of curriculum, or I choose to spend a lot of time just gossiping or chatting about the, the last football game versus actually asking meaningful questions that'll make people uncomfortable. Like, are we choosing yeah. the freedom for, are you, are we creating momentum towards something or are we just trying to let people just be themselves? You know, you know, when you yeah. have an over talker, this is a very basic example. You know, when you have an over talker, some of them, if you really love them and care for them, you actually want to help them be better because yeah. they're having, they're going to have social yeah. issues and be rejected or have people have eye rolls around them. And so if you really care about them, you actually will spend the time as a leader to instruct them lovingly, pastorally, because you want them to be set free from whatever yes. is causing that behavior um, that is hindering their relationship with people. So I think if we kind of look at it as what are we, what are we allowing people to be free for? Um, then and that vision of the for the positive then makes the f- the uh, restrictions or the confines not feel so confining. And I think that's the freedom aspect is why this book is so important because of the, uh, the misconstrued ideas of freedom in our world of like freedom mm-hmm. being like Carolyn's saying, Nick has said of freedom to do whatever you want versus the biblical idea of, you know, you know, another great passage to look through this with this flesh is Galatians, you know, right? Mm-hmm. The end of Galatians, uh, you know, but Paul talks about in Galatians 5, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to mm-hmm. indulge the, the flesh rather serve one another in love. And so that freedom to serve, and that's why this book is so profound for not just millennials and Gen Z, which I think we all like to bag on for some reason, but for, for the Gen X <laughs> and the boomers. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the church somehow, like, I don't know, you're around older people, like they're like, oh, those millennials. But like why, why this book is so profound given, you know, this post-pandemic age of like, hey, what does true freedom mean? And it's giving yourselves mm-hmm. over to the relational constraints of love, of like, what yes. is best for my brothers and sisters? And again, why community is so important. Like freedom is best expressed in love. And so how do we do that and give ourselves to that, that freedom for, like Carolyn was talking about, is, is again, why this book is worth a group discussion with our leaders. Yeah. I also think this is a this is the section where I think Coma really shines in that, He's had so much, you can just feel it and read it that he's had so much experience and conversations and pastoring that he's done in Portland that you can tell his, his kind of arguments have been really sanded and, and, you know, been, been really kind of, uh, been pushed up against and these different things that like he, he speaks with such confidence through this section that I think that's one of the things I really appreciated from it. You know, he, he talks about the decline of the culture and how we ended up here. I don't want to go into that in this podcast, but I think one of the things that he did a really good job of boiling down where a lot of this comes down to is the misunderstanding between this like happiness and pleasure that Mm -hmm. like so much of life is about becoming happy. But um, I'm just going to read the quote. I think it captures this so well. It says, the wise recognize that the pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is about dopamine. Happiness is about serotonin. Pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. A sense that my life is rich and satisfying as it is. Pleasure is about want. Happiness is about freedom from want. And I think you, know, we, yeah. you guys just really covered that well about freedom from and feed freedom for. So anything else from this section that really stood out to you? He has a whole chapter on like what he calls the law of returns. And I think this is really important as we move towards the practical um, for our groups. Uh, and what he talks about in the law of returns is 
two simple points is that every cause has an effect. You know, you know, we, we learned this in physics in high school, right? Yep. But then the more important point that we often miss is that the effect is often disproportionate to the cause. And what he means by that is that over time, there is an exponential growth. And we all know this in the spiritual life, right? Starting a discipline, starting a habit is really hard work, you know, and as we're approaching, you know, the new year, I'm sure all of us have new habits we want to start. Um, maintaining them is hard, but as we maintain those habits, whether they're physical or spiritual or emotional, whatever the habits are in our lives, over time, they will exponentially do more um, than yes. seems to do it. And so I think it's those... He has this great quote where the seemingly insignificant decisions sculpt our character for both good and bad. We're either freer to love or more enslaved to the flesh. And I think over time we see that. And so I think that important point is key as we're talking about group ministry is we're trying to yeah. get our people to do the small habits for a long period of time. And over that period of time, we will see that growth. We may never see it as a group leader or as a small group point person in those people. Um, but they will eventually see it. Yeah, that's a great way to wrap up this section. So let's finish off here by talking about the practical ways that we can overcome fleshly desires with our groups. Yeah, he's a huge fan of confession, which I have mm. to say is probably the least practice spiritual discipline <laughs> in um, in our small groups. Yes. I don't know, maybe Nick, Andrew, are your small groups practicing confession regularly? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a that's a really tough one because it feels so private, but I completely yeah. agree with him. I, he says, you know, confession, the beauty of it really is that it drags out our sins into the light and then not yeah. keeps them locked in solitary confinement. And you know, um, there's so many verses about, you know, God works in the light and bringing things to the light. There's no condemnation mm -hmm. in Christ. And when you hear people accept you and love you after they hear something, um, that's not so pretty. And that's difficult to share, that it really takes the group to the next depth. Yeah. Um, and I think to practice confession, it doesn't have to be the, you know, the deep dark. And I've been, recently I've been really captivated by this idea of confession for the last few months. We did a, a teaching series, um, in the beginning of the fall on spiritual disciplines. And mm. when we got to the confession one, I drilled down kind of hard on our small group leaders to try it. And I said, you don't do like deep, dark sins that you've never told anyone. Uh, pick one person <laughs> in the group, not even the whole group, especially because we have a lot of mixed gender groups. So uh, yeah. pick one or two people in the group and confess something that um, that you haven't shared and that, you know, just bring that into the light. And one of the leaders who's been a leader a really long time, super solid, he said, I don't think I've ever done this. And he's been a believer for decades, right? And I said, okay, have you ever told your best friend something you've done that's hurt your wife or your kids yeah. or your work? And he said, yeah. And I said, and did you talk about how, you know, you want to do better and that you're praying or thinking or working with God on it? And he said, yes. And I said, well, there you go. You've just done confession. It's basically you know, <laughs> asking someone to hold accountable, uh, to share what, how you failed, how you've missed the mark, how you are disappointed uh, with yourself and want to do better. And yep. if you look at it as you're only committing, you're only asking someone to hold you accountable for something that you've already promised to the Lord and to yourself, then it doesn't have this like crazy secret thing with it. So I said, start, I told the group, start small, just something really little and yes. then build from that. Yeah. I, I think I lied to you a little bit in the, like have, have my groups to kind of experience this. It comes with the few groups that pray via acts, which is adoration, confession, thankfulness, mm -hmm. and supplication. And those I've, the groups that I've done, it's been forever since I do it, did it. And I really should bring it back into my group. But when we pray and we do the confession part, that's, I think, another one of those kind of easy okay. intros into mm -hmm. it where it's built into prayer. Cause then it's, it's, yes, we're sharing it with others, but I think in prayer, it's, we're also giving that up. So maybe that's mm -hmm. a good crawl step. So maybe this is an area we should really explore. I think this would be a really good one for future to just talk about like the, the unpracticed habits of small group and just <laughs> yeah. like do a series on that in a sense. But maybe that's our future podcast series that we could do that uh, James will yeah. steal. So yeah. <laughs> the other kind of entry to this can be bringing communion into your group mm. can sometimes be a place where that confession can come in as well. Right. Cool. Any other practices we're, we're missing that would be helpful here? You know, he talks, you know, in the devil section about uh, silence and solitude, but also yes. scripture, uh, Yes, you know, which are important ones to think through. And uh, I loved his distinction in both of them. First with silence, he's, you know, we think of silence and solitude as this carefree, relaxing, stroll in yes. the woods part, but he really hammers home that, no, this is where we go to do battle, uh, yeah. you know, and just to, to really 
align ourselves with Jesus. And, and it can be refreshing. And I've had solitude times that are refreshing. But, but don't think that this is just for my relaxation, but to really, what is this doing to my soul? Uh, yeah. Is important. And and I had those same thoughts. And I almost wonder how much of the battle being what recharged us, right? Like mm-hmm. winning those battles and being able to face those hard areas. What puts us at ease is that we finally had a conversation with him and we're able to relax knowing that we've handed this off, right? Yeah. So maybe it's yeah. some, some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like the goal isn't to think about scripture, mm-hmm. you know, and but to think scripture. And I think it's that, you know, dwell on it yes. day and night, meditate on it, um, let it indwell us. You yep. know, how to come to that space. Uh, and that's also the value of community, right? Yeah, so I yeah. think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand of why you need community, you're going to have a lot of ideas that you have and you really need the community to be like, when you're going about to make a foolish decision to be like, yeah, I don't see how that lines up with scripture. Scripture tells you like, this is who you mm-hmm. are. And I think you need those other people in your life to kind of help you also be necessarily accountable to scripture, but is this who you really are? I think is a mm-hmm. is a big part, and who mm-hmm. as who you are, as in what what Christ uh, the 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 righteousness side of who you are. Absolutely, cool. All right, so let's hit the last one, which is the world. So, what are we talking about when we talk about the world? How are we defining the world? And again, Comer does a great job delineating the different definitions in Scripture because it's not clear, right? Like, there's not just this easy cut and dry. But where the world is where he's coming from is again, that disordered part of the world where sin and Satan have really allowed the distorted view of reality, that which does not line up with God's kingdom and God's reality to become the normative part. So it's those values, those cultural um, cues, um, whatever it is that don't align with Jesus that have become a normative part of our society. So in essence, it's the culture, it's the water in which we swim. And there we breathe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Comer says the world is more than just no God. It's anti-God. So there Mm. is active force against biblical uh, principles and the way of Jesus. And so he says um, that the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you're of the world, then it all seems right. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is the insidious nature of it because you don't notice it because that it is the world in which we live. It's um, the normative ideas that we just take for granted. There's a lot of stuff we just take for granted and without questioning, what are we consuming? You know, even Mm -hmm. something as simple as, uh, you know, what we choose to view or who's on our Twitter feed or um, who's on our Instagram or whatever, like, does that lead us to more contentment, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or does that lead us to envy? Well, okay, that I just gave that away. Yes. Some of my Instagram (laughs) people leads to envy. I see like this amazing food or amazing house. um, And I had to actually unsubscribe to house. I don't know if you're familiar with house, but um, I was coveting at the bathrooms and kitchen remodel. So it's just, there's just things that are, seem that seems so minor, but any, if we believe that anything we're putting into our minds, um, are moving us either towards or away from Jesus, Mm -hmm. then I think we have to put a filter um, on as much of that as we can, because the world doesn't show up and announce itself as I'm the world and I'm against God. It shows up as, oh, there's no harm in this. This is just kind of fun. You know, it's very beguiling. So I I think the community piece is even more critical here. And he (laughs) lands really hard um, on the community side of it. I think if people want to use his book to... Um, promote small groups, there's plenty of material for it because he says you just cannot follow Jesus alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can really identify with that. But mine necessarily isn't is an Instagram. That's the one that doesn't eat at my heart as much as Twitter does, where Twitter's like can be angry and really outraged. <laughs> and like an I just want to in your grandma, aren't you? Right. Nick? <laughs> Which is like a dangerous place. Like you don't want an eight being able to freely share his thoughts like that. That's just not a healthy, healthy thing, right? Um, and I think the other one is like I I'm a huge fan of comedy and stand up, and I know if mm-hmm. I I can sometimes get into that world too much, where I think it's acceptable to talk like in such a blunt or such a kind of thing, and you forget that stand up is part act and performance, right? So like you look at someone like Bill Burr, someone that I really kind of love, but I have to like put a put a cap on how much I can consume him because his angry side is literally just a character. Like that's not who he actually is, right? Um, so I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just like I've just 
over the years, I've watched how those kind of things can really influence who I am. And when mm-hmm. I start to pick up those things, I think it's like, all right, Nick, you really need to cut that off and 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 mm-hmm. and get away from it. Andrew, would you like to confess anything else? Anything in your <laughs> temptation? <laughs> For me, like it's sometimes reading food blogs, like of just yeah. wanting to like go to these restaurants or make this type of dish or, you know, not being content with just, you know, the simple you know, yeah. mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. I have to fix for my daughters every day. You know, like <laughs> that's such a cause for a food connoisseur. That's challenging chicken nuggets every, right. every time. You know, you know, but I think it's living for that experience. You know, or uh, whatever it is. You know, and so, so no, it is. It's it's so subtle. Uh, mm. You know, it's easy to see the big things. You know, in which you know the the distorted have become the normative, and it's easy for us pick at those mm-hmm. or boycott those as believers but like th- those subtle lies uh, you know yeah. and, that, and that's where satan does his best work you know if we're honest yeah. like, uh, you know and so yeah and i had a question here and i think it's already been answered but it's just like how is the world affecting our groups and i mm-hmm. think it's like look at the different ways in which we just all shared how we're being influenced you know by culture and to think we're at least aware of it right but I think the people who are group members might not necessarily be aware of its mm-hmm. its influence. And it, it comes back to the one of the lies that it talks about in the flesh section was like, oh, if it's not harming anyone else, mm-hmm. like it's it's OK. And like here, here it is. And it just it's that th- the things becoming normal, the normalization mm-hmm. of, of things in our culture. So let's finish up here and just talk about like, how do we defeat that? What are some of the ways that he gives us as tools to defeat this? What are what are some of the ways that he shares with us? Well, I think this goes back to Carolyn's point of intergenerational sort of groups, because our groups, it can become so siloed or echo chambers. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guilty of this myself, right? I like mm-hmm. hanging out with people who believe like me and who hold to the same opinions. Yeah. But how do we form groups in which that's not the case? Or how do we help groups get beyond that so that they don't become the places? Or how do we form groups so that they don't become those echo chambers, you know, yeah. infiltrated by either, you know, Fox News or CNN, right? Either side, liberal yeah. or Republican. <laughs> you know, so I think that's that's the beauty of the body is how do we be like what he talks about is a prophetic signpost to kingdom life in a culture of death. And I think small groups, intergenerational small groups, like Carolyn said, they're beautiful. They're hard, but they can be so beautiful because they can help us see things in, in ways that we would not be able to be able to yeah. see otherwise. Along with this section, one of the that I thought was helpful, he talks about hard power versus soft power. And here in America, mm. we have the yes. luxury of not being under militia, authoritarian rule, and all those yep. things. But to recognize the soft power, that's the attempt to control or influence. And that's all around us. And it's all around our churches too. Like what's normative in our church? What's normative in our group? You know, if all of our small group leaders are in a success look look fabulous, you know, fit, thin, I don't know, whatever cultural norms look like to be the, the shiny, happy Christian people, what message is that sending um, about the values of our church or our group? If um, in a married couples group, I, I've talked about this before on a podcast that it just really breaks my heart when married couples groups end up with a couple that's in crisis and nobody knew because they felt like it wasn't safe um, to say that they're you know, their marriage was on the rocks or headed out. But what if that was the norm? What if the norm was that we all need Jesus? We all are broken. We're all in this fight and the fight is hard. Um, And so, you know, let's name what the soft powers that are against us having healthy, uh, you know, healthy relationships Mm. with one another without hierarchy, like even in our roles in churches, you know, how many church cultures are, um, are siloed and have assumed the worst of one another, fight for resources um, versus ones that freely and generously and graciously help one another, even on the same staff. Like there's, there's so many ways that we can choose uh, to be countercultural and that just is always counterculture. So I think if we, uh, if we don't, look at the ways that we are fitting the culture. If we're too comfortable in this culture, basically, we're probably not doing the way of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which even as I say that is super scary. 
<laughs> you know, you, you know, if you're too comfortable, then you're probably doing it wrong. I think there was some saying like that. Um, but there is yeah. some truth to that, at least uh, scripturally, it's true. Jesus was always odd. He was always part of the, you know, outside. He always brought the outsiders in. Um, so if we aren't doing that and we're too connected to the power structure in our church environments or our small group leaders um, are wanting to curry favor there rather than be shepherding people from the outside, mm -hmm. I think we run into potentially um, selling out to the world. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to wrap up this book. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but then he also hammers home too, like, and Carolyn, just listen to Carolyn more. Like, that's all I have always <laughs> yeah. said. Like, you know, but, but yeah. Carolyn's point, you know, is too, is recognizing as we're bringing in outsiders is that our battle's not against those people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's what scripture says. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against yeah. the powers and principalities of this age. Like, and so like, if we can just recognize that in our groups, and that it's not against people, but you know, that our Yes. But that our call is to love those people and move yeah. towards those people, like Carolyn said. Like that's where we need to start. And how do we do that in an age where like we are so mm -hmm. polarized, you know, and that it's either it's either or it's never can be both and like uh, and this is that's the hard work, you know, that we're called to as leaders in the church, you know, of, of that. And so that's to where I think this book is call and reminder. Um, yeah. Again, nothing new, but a yeah. reminder the church needs. I need right now. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good way to, to wrap up here. And um, there, uh, obviously, like every other book, we always share one of the things I say <laughs> on my podcast all the time is like there's so much we didn't get to. And um, I. I, I I'd encourage you to pick it up. I think it's a good one to read with your leaders. Yeah. Like I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's going to be stuff that necessarily you haven't thought of before, but I guarantee you it's stuff that your leader has, hasn't really thought about or wrestled with. And I loved earlier in the podcast, Carolyn, you talking about like the power that it can bring to them to know their importance in this, in this role and what they're doing. So, mm -hmm. um, so Hey, I realize I'm on here to there, but one of the things I do on reading lens is I end with this thing called a lightning round where I ask two questions. So I'm just going to start with the first one, which is, is there another book podcast movie that you've read or listened to recently that's had an impact on your leadership? Andrew, do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, it was think again by Adam Grant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I actually, that's going to be a future reading lens book i think it's going to be coming in february <laughs> so uh hopefully we can get to that what just quickly what what stood out andrew that that is impacting you from that book I, I, a lot but i think it actually ties to comer's book a little of how do we recognize that which we don't know and how can we always be have this mindset of looking for new or testing new or trying something yeah. new not because it may work but because we don't know what we don't know and so i think i don't yeah. know it just was a really cool aspect of how do we continue to learn cool and carolyn what about for you is okay so i was gonna say that think again because i'm a no, huge why don't, you share your, why don't you share your your think again part uh you okay, guys can have so, the same book. Uh, we can't have the same book, but uh, so no, Adam Grant, a huge fan. He's a, um, he's a professor of organizational psychology at uh, UPenn and, um, he, he is not Christian, but he very much values, uh, compassion, kindness, yeah. love, uh, within organizations. And so his mm, podcast is actually huh? pre pretty good as well. I think he's Jewish maybe, but very much the Christian principles live in him. I, we should start praying for him because he's very influential. Um, but the whole idea of, I think the COVID season to, we have to think again, we have no choice. <laughs> I mean, anyone yeah. that's been dialing it in or doing it the same way ha that's worked. I mean, you know, I've been in this uh, role for six, almost 16 years now, and there's a lot of things that's worked, uh, but man, it just, you had to throw everything um, out the window and start over. So it, it was really fitting to read that this year um, and to kind of give myself space to think again, to dream again about my own life, about um, the life of our ministry. And so, yeah, I highly recommend it. And what are you guys looking forward to in the new year? You know, I, as I start this job and, you know, I think I'm just looking forward to building relationships, you know, and really yeah. um, thinking again of what small group ministry <laughs> can look like, you know, because I'm, I'm given it that opportunity and how often do we get that opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm just excited to do that, you know, um, see what God is doing at Christ Church, what to tweak, what to, to keep the same. And so, no, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm in that new job phase where it's, you know, it's exciting. Yeah. 
Carolyn? For me, uh, our younger daughter graduates from college. We are done with college tuitions. I'm very excited for that <laughs> in May. <laughs> I'm performing my first wedding. I'm very excited for that as well. Of a, nice. a, young adult, a young adult couple that I've, I've discipled for a while. Um, so those are kind of exciting, fun things. And then like yeah. Andrew, I, even though this is not a new job for me, uh, we definitely have to do some things differently um, yeah. post-COVID. And so I doing lots of um, back to the drawing board kind of stuff, which I'm excited for and excited to see what God does. And if it doesn't work, then we can think again, again, yeah. <laughs> so keep going. <laughs> yeah. And my, my excitement is we just have a brand new city here. So, I mean, that's, that's really exciting. It's a, it's a fresh start. It's frustrating that we kind of have to start over again, but we had about 60% of our con- congregation move away. But the mm-hmm. thing is, is that our town size stayed the same. So that means that we just have so many new people. Um, I think I talked about this in a different episode, but pretty much Manhattan moved here and here moved to the suburbs. And so I don't know where suburbs goes. I don't know if they go get farms or what, how, like what, what the continue of that progress looks like. But anyways, I'm super excited about that. So getting to like, I have a fresh dinner group right now or fresh small group and I have three people who are just brand new to faith. One's ready to get baptized. One just learned that like God isn't distant. And then the mm. other one mm. is just asking really hard questions. And I, it just has made dinner group so good. So I'm just mm-hmm. super excited to be able to have that's, that's what's going well, at least, uh, where, where I am. So that's great. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay. And I'm Carolyn Takeda. We want to thank you for joining us for this special combo episode of Here to There and Reading Lens. And special thank you to you, Andrew, for being our joint guest. That wasn't too horrible, was it? <laughs> no, I love talking with you both. So, no, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's really great having you here and, and getting the old gang back together. I think it, it is super awesome. But come back next week for Leadership Journey with Bill Search, where he's going to tackle the second half of navigating the inevitable challenges groups face. Did either of you happen to listen to, to the first one? Yeah, I did. I You know, Bill, how oh, Bill is so good. <laughs> so I, I know, thought he right? nailed the first half. They're really relatable. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing the second half. And his voice is so calm. Because notice that? I like, know. He's very soothing. If you're feeling anxious or, or I know. Um, you know, stressed, he's very soothing to listen to. I also like the fact that he's able to do it by himself. Like, I can't think mm-hmm. of another podcast, which is just one person talking into a microphone. And I think it's incredible what he's able to pull off with that. So really awesome stuff if you're not listening to it. Thank you again for joining us. Remember, here are two taglines, Nick. We're better together. <laughs> and leaders are readers. <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to continuing to grow with you. Thanks for listening. See you in 2022. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.